The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is The Tea Health Show. And today we're talking about penis augmentation. Um, in studio with me, we have Sister Elise van Art. Morning, Good Sister morning. Elise. Dante Lodati. And our producer today is Ryan. Morning, Ryan. Morning, Dr. Mark. Okay, How are you so doing we today? also have an intern with us. Yes, we do. We have a, a new intern here at Cliff Central. His name is Duma. So Morning, he's, Duma. He's, he's going to be sitting next to me and reflecting on the conversation. Okay, so. Um, this morning we spoke about um, penis augmentation when I was with Gareth on his show. Yes. And right, it seems like there was quite a little bit of interest and quite a lot of comments. Yes. Sister Elise is switching position. There was. I think, uh, I think our audience likes to hear from you, Dr. Mark. Okay. So, um, you know what? We're talking about enlargement of the penis. If you want to send us any comments or if you want to ask a question, you can WhatsApp us on 073-361-3465. at 073-361-3465. So let's, let's start where we started earlier this morning. Um, the average male penis is how big so according to to you on the show this morning 13.5 centimeters in the erect state oh in the now, erect state yes um and in a flaccid state 8.8 centimeters now you know what um we have to ask that question um do you think it's relevant in the South african context Dante, come on, you're in, you're in the <laughs> locker room all the time. Do I think it's relevant? Um, I think Do you think it's, it's accurate in the South African setting, um, an erect male penis of 13.3 centimetres? Okay, well, there aren't going to be too many erect penises in the locker room, <laughs> so we can't really That's have a look at that. Elisa's laughing. Um, okay, so let's, let's, let's go for the flaccid penis. 8.8 centimeters. Do, um, you, do you think look, that there's, is... There's, that's, uh, there's a definite difference. Uh, you can see it between your white males and your black males. Um, one, of, one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you is, um, is it true to say in general that um, there are differences in sizes between ethnicities. Absolutely. You can um, see that in, in, in children. Absolutely. You're a simple thing is, have you ever seen an Asian or Indian porn star? <laughs> no, we don't. So, um, and I, I think what brings the average worldwide penis size down is uh, the people of... Asian and Indian descent that that seems to have smaller penises than uh, definitely your African um, population group and you know even the Caucasian uh, group. Mm. So you know what I, I I think one of the things that we need to understand is that penis size is subjective. Um. I, I don't know a guy that says that 
they wouldn't mind a, a bigger penis. But now, are, we need to ask the question, why do we say that? But are men obsessed with size? Yes, like I, I think, um, you know, what we discussed earlier this morning, we um, men often compare penis sizes as a form of finding their place in the hierarchy. Um, you know what we it's it's how you measure up sure and it's how you measure up uh, you know what naked in front of other guys um, it's almost that simple thing of a guy with a bigger dick has uh, you know what is higher up for picking order I feel Literally. like I feel like men in general have a competitive uh, characteristic towards most things like you know if you go to gym who can get bigger. So I feel like it's just an addition to that. Would I be correct yeah, in saying? Yeah. Duma, you have a question. Well, not more of a question, but more of a statement. Um, I also think that when we do end up comparing um, penis sizes, we need to be specific about what is it that we're comparing. Um, because I've been in a situation where, okay, one was thicker and one was longer. But then, you know, there was still that sort of a, debate or that sort of a bone of contention where it's just like, okay, cool, but who's the bigger one? If, what are we measuring by it being big? Are we measuring the thickness or are we measuring the length? I, you know what, let's ask Sister Elise. <laughs> <laughs> I think from a woman's perspective, I would like to say, I've never looked at a penis in that way, is it thicker, is it longer? Because I want something else out of it. I don't worry how it looks. Is that the answer you wanted? You know what, it's, it's interesting that you give that answer because for women, it's whether it's functioning. Exactly. For men, it's about size. And, and you know what, that's, that's as we said, um, you know what, a very personal kind of, um, reaction to uh, am I big enough or not? Yeah. Um, I, you know what, I I think when it comes to length versus girth, in my personal opinion as a gay man, I, you know what, I don't like pencil dick. So <laughs> you don't want something that's that's long and thin. You want something that's so are you saying proportion is proportion is a big thing. is absolutely essential. Right. And when we talk about augmentation, this is very important for us to remember. The proportions, the aesthetic proportions, need to be uh, well in the front of your mind when you do this procedure. Um, okay, but we're talking about non-surgical augmentation. Well, it's Cecilie's. You know what, I think we need to talk about, in, in, in our practice, yes, we're talking about non-surgical. Non yes. But we need to talk about what is available yes. as <clears throat> a, a augmenting procedures. And you know what, um, let's, let's start there. We've established what the average male penis uh, size is. It's relevant, I think, to... To note that 
60% of men say that they have an average size penis, but 50% of men say they wouldn't mind to have a bigger one. In my experience, I think it's more than 50%. Um, so if we look at augmentation um, methods or treatments that we have, uh, we need to understand that men have been trying to enlarge their penises for hundreds of thousands of years or thousands of years, let's put it that way. Um, and um, here we are thinking specifically about stretching the penis or using a vacuum device or, you know, with weighing down the penis um, and potions and lotions. So, um, Dante, do you have any comment on this? What about the devices? Mm. Um, well, you know, from, from, I suppose, personal experience, having played with, for example, a pump, um, it's when you're, when you're performing the procedure, your penis certainly does get bigger. But once you stop, it goes straight back to its original size. It doesn't retain that size. I mean, for me, I think the penis pump is is a far better instrument or device for blood flow to the penis rather than actually enlarging it in the long term. Yes. Uh, you know what? I'm going to circle back and come back to that. Um, Ryan, have you ever seen a vacuum device or a penis stretching device? Uh, I haven't. I've, I've heard of them, but I haven't. Duma, are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Um, I have seen quite a few. And actually, I do have questions pertaining to that. Shoot. So, um, obviously, the main purpose of it is to, you know, just as you explained, you know, just to have that kind of vacuum that sort of stretches the size of the penis. So are there any health risks that are associated with it? Because I can't imagine having to constantly stretch your penis and it, is it like a muscle where if you constantly break it, it builds bigger or is it, you know, what are the risks that are associated with it? So it's a very relevant question and I'm glad that you went there. Both of your, uh, let's start with a vacuum device. Um, vacuum devices are powerful tools if used correctly, but 99% of men do not do that and they can cause damage. Um, if we look at the anatomy of the penis, and in, in our practice, Sissy Elise is the anatomist. Um, Elise, um, we're talking about sponge tissue in two tubes um, that holds uh, or that sits next or above your urethra and there's a blood vessel at the dorsal end of the penis, which in other words, at the top, if you look uh, down your own penis, uh, at the top there's a blood vessel and then there's nerve endings. So, um, do you want to add anything about the anatomy, Lise? I think the important part is to understand that your penis has two um, canals of spongy tissue, which fills with blood, and that is on either side of the penis. And if you 
if there is an interruption or a physical problem and blood can't flow into that spongy tissue, then you get damage or you have erectile dysfunction, etc. And that is a, a, an action by the brain where you have stimulation, sexual stimulation, and that happens automatically. It's not something that you can control. It does happen just yeah. automatically. So, you know what, you mentioned that it's about blood flowing into the penis yes. and there's a neurological reaction or a neurological response. So, yes, we have blood vessels that will fill up the sponge tissue and we have valves that close to keep the blood there. Yeah. Now, the problem with using uh, a penis pump, if you use it incorrectly, is you damage the sponge tissue. You create tears in that sponge tissue. You can create tears. So no, tears. it's not a muscle that you want. It, it literally works like sponge. Yeah. Um, you can create tears in the nerves. You can create tears in the blood vessels. Um, the vacuum device, if left on like most men do, what it does is it creates a suction to the outside. So all that happens is you suck fluid out of the vascular system into the tissue. So it's like swelling. It's like when you sit on a plane and your ankles swell. It's mm. the same thing. The penis will appear a little bit thicker. And because it carries more weight due to the water that's trapped in the tissue, it hangs a little bit lower. So, therefore, as that water gets reabsorbed by the tissue, the penis goes back to its normal size. So, vacuum devices can be an aid in enlarging the, um, the penis, but they have to be used correctly. I always, when, when I work with vacuum devices for my patients with erectile dysfunction, I always tell them to use the um, device like a milking machine. In other words, you create the vacuum and immediately release the vacuum. So, you know what, it, it, you don't damage the tissue and you never over-inflate or over-stimulate by creating too strong a vacuum because then you damage the tissue. Yes, Duma. Um, I love that you mentioned uh, that you do speak about the penis pumps with your uh, clients that are facing erectile dysfunction. I was actually about to ask, is, do you consider a penis pump to be a healthier alternative to Viagra in that sense? No, um, I don't. I think they're good add-ons um, for a, a person battling with erectile dysfunction. Um, I, I don't think it's healthier than the other one. Both of them have a place. Um, in combination, you know, what you can get a, a more favorable uh, reaction um, or erection if you are battling with erectile dysfunction. Um, when we come to the new stretching type of devices, um, you know what, go online, take a look at these things. It's a hell of a contraption. 
Um, you fixate some kind of uh, ring around the head of a penis. Um, and, you know, what? when it's got this telescopic kind of arm that pushes against the pelvis, and then people hang weights from that. So, again, you know what? Over time, it can stretch the penis. Sure. Um, but over time, you will also damage the nerves, the, uh, the soft tissue, the sponge tissue, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, the stretching exercises that you can do, which I actually think is better, um, to, to massage and stretch the tissue rather than do it with a device. Um, and, you know, it, it can also be a little bit more fun. Um, but we're talking fairly long-term, though, if you're going to go that route. Long-term. You know what? Um, it's like uh, overusing a muscle. You can tear a muscle. Uh, mm. if, if you suddenly do the splits and you're not used to it, um, you know what? You can do that with your penis. Uh, one of the serious side effects of these things is that you can create penile fracture. And that's a surgical emergency. So it's not something that you want to do um, just out of uh, uh, stupidity. Sister Elise, in all your years in urology, um, did you ever have to deal with a, um, a penile fracture? Have you ever seen one? Absolutely. I've seen quite a few. And the only way to correct that penis fracture is to put penile implants in. Otherwise, you don't have a functional penis anymore. And that is also something that people think can help with penis augmentation is penile implants. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the Asian countries. In my previous job, we did penile implants. And the most penile implants was done in China, not for erectile dysfunction or penis fractures, for length and girth. So they had good functioning penises, but they wanted the bigger penises. I know for sure that they did about 20 procedures a day at just one hospital, penile implants. Wow. Yeah. So this is more common than… It's in, in, in those wow. countries, it's more common, yes. And… What? I don't know, sorry, Elise, that I interrupted. I don't know whether Pumi is listening because this morning she was quite shocked when, when we spoke about the, um, the lengthening procedures. And here we're thinking of um, the surgeries. But um, it's also important to mention you can't lengthen a penis too much with an implant. I think you gain about a centimeter and a centimeter and a half because you are restricted with the tissue that you have. Well, it's not only the tissue that you have, but you're also restricted with your urethra. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, the urethra is the tube that runs from the bladder um, through your prostate, um, just below the perineum, into the penis. Um, you know what? And again, uh, you know what? All of these kinds of procedures come with complications. Absolutely. So with a penile implant, you know what? Um, we use them to treat patients with re um, refractile uh, erectile dysfunction. So these are the guys that are paraplegics or quadriplegics or patients who had 
radical prostate uh, prostatectomies or prostate surgery where the nerves were damaged and they are no longer able to to get an erection. And there we use the implants. And, you know, it, they play a role, but it's, you know what, it's... It, it's, it's the last resort. It really is. Yeah, it's um, the last resort because you, you destroy the sponges tissue in the penis. And if you destroy that tissue because you use tun- tunneling devices to create a space to put the implant in. Yeah, and the implant is literally like a balloon. It's like a balloon, but in, in a flaccid state, let me use that word. So as soon as you inserted that implant, it's two tubes that goes on in the two spongiosa tissues canals and as soon as you've inserted that that's when you start inflating it with a reservoir that's got saline in it no um what do you call it in layman's term everybody knows saline but um it's got a reservoir pump and the two channels that you insert so just think about that yes erectile dysfunction is a functional disease if you don't if you can't function you can't get it or you can't get erections you can't function properly but to do it for cosmetic reasons is definitely not on definitely yeah, not this is on. what i was i was going to say now when it comes to function because i can't imagine i can't imagine it being more effective with an implant no because in you terms need of to function th- you need to quickly think i need to go and pump it up before action happens. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? It's not a spontaneous reaction. Well, you need to go and I do mean, it. I'm just, well, I'm you know, if you this. can have it, it will. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, Elise, um, we, we do penile um, lengthening procedures specifically um, by um, releasing the suspensory ligaments. Um, were you ever involved in those procedures? I think it was once in my life. And then um, I remember the, the patient wasn't very happy with the result because you don't have a um, a nice full penis that sort of stands out in no, front. No, it hangs down. It hangs it, down it, between literally, the you legs. Have a, you have an and erection that, that points to the floor. And we need to, just need to mention the penis is sup- suspended from the pubic bone by ligaments, and that's the ligaments that they cut. So your profile and everything just changes. It just doesn't look good. This this balloon that you talk about, is is it heavy? No. Not at all? No, no. You know what? Um, I'm thinking it might add extra weight if it's... No, it doesn't, because the reservoir sits um, in, in the pelvis itself. So, you know, it, it's, it's not in the penis. And you can't keep it partially inflated. It, it either inflates or deflates. And it's you know, so you 60 can't milliliters of fluid. 60 milliliters of fluid goes into that reservoir. Sure. sure. So now, you know what, those are the traditional stuff that we used for augmentations, they've fallen out of favor, especially the lengthening procedures. Um, the implants, you know, what we try and Sorry, reserve Sorry, Dr. Mark, them. I think it's important to just mention another um, um, way of, of, of creating an illusion of lengthening the, the penis. It's losing weight. And, well, or liposuction of the fat pad mm. above the penis. 
So, you know what, Elise, actually I think it's a, a brilliant point for us to discuss mm. next. Um, often you have guys that have... Um, a folksy bonnet. A what? A what? <laughs> you remember the old, old Volkswagen... Volkswagen Be- um, Beatles. Beatles? Yeah, yeah. So, um, a lot of men who carry weight... Yeah have a super pubic fat pad, a, a big collection of oh, fat I see what okay. um, ab- above <laughs> the, the penis, below the, below the stomach. It's where the pubic above, hair is, in other words. Yes, yeah, okay. yes, yes, yes. And you know what? It hides a lot of length. Um, and um, you know what? You can create the illusion of a bigger penis. Actually, you, you didn't change the size of the penis. You, if you lose the weight um, or if you remove that fat in that area, the penis will appear larger. But that also comes with complications, especially if you do liposuction in that area because there's a lot of nerves that run there. Um, your pudendal nerve... Um, comes out of the, the pelvis itself, not not superficially, but your sensory nerves um, can can be affected, giving you less sensation. Um, you know what? You might have a functioning penis, but you're not going to feel anything. That, would something like liposuction help with someone who has a micro penis? No. Yeah. No, if they have a micropenis, actually, let's take a look at the definition of a micropenis. A micropenis is a penis that in an erect state is less than, I think, six or seven centimeters. I think it's six centimeters. Um, I might be wrong. Uh, you know, we can check on that. Um, but a micropenis is, is a penis that just didn't develop. So, in size. It's fully functional. It just didn't develop in size. Now, we've seen a couple in the practice, and you know what? It's, it's difficult to treat that. Um, liposuction, if you have a fat pad there that surrounds it, yes, it can help a little bit, um, giving you uh, an appearance in a flaccid and an erect state of a bigger penis because you're taking the the tissue away that hides it um, again not not the first line treatment why would I men would have micro penises is it genetically or is it um, maybe in the growth puberty growth phase that something went wrong no I actually Elise you know what um, if it was in the growth phase um I, I would suspect that, you know, what puberty would be delayed if mm. it's a hormonal thing. Yes. Puber- puberty would be delayed or, you know, what they will not have um, all the male characteristics. So we, we often see this in genetic um, disorders or uh, chromosomal disorders where we look at Kleinefelter syndrome um, where you have an extra... Um, um, X chromosome, so it you have a, a lot of a morph, morphological 
attributes of a woman vis-a-vis the broader hips, breast tissue, smaller penis. But, uh, you know, it, it, you're a male. Everything functions normally as a male. So I think it's a developmental yes. um, uh, condition rather than uh, a hormonal one. Um, so here we should rather look at maybe embry- uh, embryology, mm. maybe. Um, it's not something that I, I have to be admit that I'm overly familiar with. So if someone does have a micropenis, is what, what can one do to help him? Actually, very little. Um, you know what your will human growth hormone work at a certain yeah, stage I was in puberty? Thinking about something like that, yeah. No, it won't. Hmm. Human growth hormone won't work. There, um, you know what you're not going to get a larger penis by having more growth hormone in the body. Same as you will not get a bigger penis if you have more testosterone during puberty. Um. No, so and it's really something that we should be discussed, uh, discouraging. Um, you know what? Um, excessive amounts of testosterone in puberty causes closing of growth plates. So you know what? You will have small, s- small stature guys. With big penises. No, not necessarily. <laughs> so please, guys, don't even think about that. Um, no, 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 no. Um, no, it's a developmental issue. So for a guy with a micro penis, uh, you know what, there are, as we, as, as we said, the um, surgical kind of interventions that you can do. And I think, you know what, for most of them that qualifies um, as, as a reason to, to go and do something like that because there's a lot of psychological um, mm. issues surrounding uh, that yeah, um, sure. yeah. you know what I think most most guys have a form of body uh, dysmorphia when it comes to their own penis sizes, but when it comes to a micro penis, yes, absolutely. You know what these guys um, do have a little bit of a disadvantage. They often teased at school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it might be difficult for them to find and satisfy a partner sexually. So you know what there there are ways of doing that, but those would be your surgical, surgical interventions. Um, and you know what, I, I want us now to touch on the newer kind of treatments that, that we have. And here we're looking at regenerative therapy, uh, which most probably is my favorite. Um, we also looking at the augmentation therapies, non-surgical augmentations, where we use hyaluronic acid filler. Um, to inject under the skin of a penis. And um, you know what, we, we just have to have a little bit of background when it comes to the anatomy as to how these procedures work. Duma, you wanted to ask a question. Um, actually, let me ask a question regarding what you had just spoken about. Um, so as a gay man, obviously we are, or gay men, we are divided into categories obviously you've got your tops your bottoms and your verses so i've learned something very interesting as of late that most bottoms don't necessarily have the urge to have an erection when they're bottoming now just for clarification bottoms are the ones that are the receptive partners so could that be an issue that's related to this or is it something else 
I'm not sure I understand your question correctly. So um, are you referring to size when it comes to uh, a bottom or are you referring to function? Yes, I'm just trying to see what could be the reason because it's something that's quite popular in the gay community that when they are being receptive, they don't necessarily have the erections so i'm trying to understand is it maybe because of that where it's like okay you find a partner with a bigger penis and then you're just like oh my gosh or you feel some type of way or you know if you have experience with dealing with clients who face this no i i i I, i've never been confronted with that question in my practice i have to be honest um you know what i I, I can make a joke. Elisa's heard this before. I always say if it doesn't burn, it's not big enough. But um, you know what? I, I, I think one needs to be very careful when, it, when you want to open that can of worms. Um, you know what? I think um, for the majority, not for the majority, for all men, um, having a functioning um, penis is most probably... Um, essential um you know what in achieving an orgasm um you know what you you need to uh, orgasm to ejaculate um i think it's quite difficult to achieve an orgasm without an erect penis you know it, it's a physiological response um not not necessarily a a, a, a chosen response it's a it's a physiological response. Okay, so let's look at the alternatives to surgical interventions and implants. And here we're looking at penis augmentation with hyaluronic acid filler. Now, for you guys who don't know what hyaluronic acid fillers are, they are gel-like substances that contains hyaluronic acid. And these are the fillers that we use in facial augmentation. Um, this is what we would put into a face. And um, how it works is we put this gel underneath the skin of the penis but you need to think of your penis in layers. So almost layers of an onion. Um, the skin, think of it as the skin of the onion. And um, the skin is loose over the penis, like any man will tell you. It's loose until you become erect. Yeah. So there's a space there that you can fill in. If you put hyaluronic acid or any other substance in that space, you know what? it's going to create growth. The second layer is a fibrous layer. So think of it as a tendon, a sheath that holds the sponge tissue, the urethra and the blood vessels um, together. So you, you have a space that's created and you can, you can fill that space with this gel. Um, Elise, we do them quite often in the practice, but one of the things that um, we've, we, we've learned through experience is that this is actually bloody difficult. And 
And I also think we mustn't get into the different layers. It's just you need to know exactly the right layer to. to well, put if these you pillars. you know what if you if you're not in the correct layer, yeah, um, you know what you run into serious complications, and we'll speak about these these complications. So, for most aesthetic practitioners, that's comfortable using uh, a cannula and filler. <clears throat> the the procedure is easy. It's easy to find the space. It's easy to put the filler in. But getting it to look aesthetically pleasing is hard. It, it really is hard for two reasons. You're dealing with um, a, an object or a structure that changes shape. Yeah. So... Um, We've run into trouble with patients who are growers, for instance. Okay, the definition of a grower: you have a a, a, a normal sized penis, and you know what? When you're in the erect state, it's it's rather large. Um, now that poses a problem because if you treat the penis with this filler in a, a semi-erect or an erect state. Looks beautiful at the end as the patient is erect. But when the penis becomes flaccid, all that filler that was equally spread suddenly has no space. So it starts clumping together. And you know what? Now it starts looking funny. You know what? Uh, you'll have a bulge here and a bulge there until the patient gets erect again. Um, the same goes for if you treat the spinach in a flaccid state. In the flaccid state, it might look beautiful. But as the patient gets erect, the, the shaft gets longer yeah. and there's not enough filler to, to fill the space equally. So now you have lumps and bumps in an erect state. The first one of these procedures I did was actually on Dante. I, I always use him as a guinea pig. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and Dante, you know what? We had that problem with you. Yeah, yeah. It looked beautiful mm. in a flaccid state. But you know what? When you became erect, we, we started seeing, okay, fine, this is aesthetically not what we wanted. Yeah. And that's the difficulty with these procedures. If you're not very, very um, versed in anticipating how this is going to look and mold and place the filler correctly, you know what, it's going to look funny. And you know what, that... But I, th I think you need to add that it is reversible if it hasn't worked properly. Yes, that's one of the things that makes fillers easy. And, and 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 I'm assuming that this uh, that this filler adapts to to size too. Obviously, with the changing shape, it's got it can't just stay in one state the whole time. So it's a no. The filler stays in the same shape. That's, oh, really? This is that's what makes this ah, difficult. Okay. That's what makes it difficult to get an aesthetically pleasing result. So um, does the filler integrate into the tissue? That's the next. Certain question. fillers integrate to a degree. Yeah with a tissue. It never becomes fully part of a tissue. Remember, we're injecting above a tendon sheath. Exactly, so yeah. the filler can't spread into that. 
Um, and you, you have the skin overlying, which is loose and pliable. The filler doesn't glue the skin and the, um, and the, t- uh, yeah. the tunica albica, which is that tendency that we're talking about together, because then, you know, the, the skin won't be able to move. So it's, it's almost like a soft polyfiller mm. that you have, um, you know, what between the wall and a piece of movable plastic over the wall. So the wall can contract and expand. The skin can contract and expand, but the filler doesn't contract and expand. So I might be jumping ahead of the line here, but um, when you do the surgery, like you said, you, you first did it, do you do it in an erect state or do you do it in the, what is the term? Flaccid, flaccid state. state, yeah. Flaccid. So, you know, but through experience, Sister Lisa and I have realized that we need to do it in, in a semi-erect state. Semi-erect state, yeah. May I ask, so. how do you get the patient to become semi-erect? Yeah, That's Elisa's job. <laughs> That's Elisa's <laughs> job. <laughs> okay, I was just wondering, right? No, but, uh, but and, and just, just another question. This might be a dumb question, but how long does it take? Because obviously... So to do that procedure? Yeah. So number one, it's painless. Okay. So we we give you a, a local anesthetic block around the penis so you're fully awake. Um, and on a good day, that procedure takes us about 20 minutes. Yes. Um, okay. But not injecting the filler. It's about plying it and, and getting it to look good. That takes the longest. Oh, so it's yeah. just sh- shaping it. Yeah. 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 And but but you said it needs to be a semi-erect state. So how does that, so how does that work? So you know, but you have um, medication that can be administered um, at certain quantities that oh. will give us not a full erection. Um, and here we're thinking of alprostadol or uh, intracavernosal or um, an intraurethral um, gel or something that that we use and in a minimal dose. It's, it, it makes it a little bit easier for us to work on. Okay. Um, the patient is fully awake. The patient sits and watches and comments <laughs> as, as how we're working. They don't feel a thing. Change, and change this a little, change that a little. Yeah, let, let me just add that it is still terrifying seeing those needles. I'm sure. It's not penis. a needle. And, well, Guys, a it's cannula, a cannula. A it's can- a little blunt tube. Yeah, but the cannula <laughs> and is it's like small. seven times the size of a needle. It's terrifying to look at that. <laughs> Okay, so don't put patience off. It's marketing. <laughs> so, no, no, so, no, so no. intimidation's a real thing. The point is, it really isn't sore. One must just keep that in mind. Right. It's just a case of getting used to it as the patient when it when you first see it. That that's all it is. Okay. Okay. There's no downtime. Um, we advise the patient not to engage in sexual intercourse for at least a week to ten days. Um, as Elise said, the fillets uh, can integrate to a degree with the tissue. So, you know, but we don't want you to fiddle around with it and move it around because, sure. you know, what then it can go lumpy. Um, like Dante said, when we use a hyaluronic acid filler, what we need to understand, it's fully reversible. Um, we can dissolve that filler with an enzyme called hyaluronidase. So hyaluronidase dissolves um, hyaluronic acid. So it's a fairly safe procedure. 
if you know what you're doing. If you are not trained in this, please don't um, try and perform this procedure because things can go horribly wrong. Um, the last place where you want to put hyaluronic acid filler is in a blood vessel or in a, a tissue that's vascular because you're going to create an embolus and you know what you can you can have necrosis so you need to be trained you need to be experienced in the use of hyaluronic acid fillers and more than anything else you need to be experienced in managing a complication when it comes to this so what is the complication as we said necrosis of tissue but I think it's worth mentioning that hyaluronic acid is found naturally in our bodies so it's it, it's Hyaluronic acid makes, like collagen, makes yeah. up most of um, the, the skin. Hyaluronic acid is found in cartilage, it's found in bone, it's found in your skin, it's found in muscle. It's, uh, so hyaluronic acid is a natural occurring substance. But to keep it stable in a gel, you have to cross-link it. So we call about, we talk about cross-linking. And you know what, if you've listened to our aesthetic shows, we have different types of fillers, from soft fillers to hard fillers, to permanent fillers to semi-permanent fillers. I will never use a permanent filler on anyone because if you run into complication, you're stuck with it. Yeah. So now we're also starting to look at fat grafting, um, fat transplantation. Also works well. Um, you know what, uh, you can also get quite a nice uh, um, amount of growth by injecting fat into that tissue. Same kind of procedure, same kind of risks. I'm very careful of fat because fat has a tendency to migrate. Um, it's a transplant. Like with any transplant, you can reject the transplant. Sure. So, you know what, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to do but that. But we do not do that in our practice. We don't do it in our practice, but there will be someone that's doing it. Um, I had a patient who came from the States um, with the weirdest looking penis. It was as thick as a beer can, but with a corona overhead. Um, you know, with the size of Diabetic Kubota's hat. So it, it actually looked uh, very, yeah, it looked like the torpedo. Um, <laughs> it, it, it actually was just weird, weird wow. looking. Um, but he was very happy with this. This was because he got that, it wasn't his natural born no, state. No, 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 no. This no, was no, after no, no, he had augmentation. But serious augmentation. Oh, so I think like they augmented him. With yes, um, yes, a, Ryan, a, yes. close to a hundred mils of fat, so you know what? No, it it's it was it was something to I behold. Think it, while you're saying that, it's worth mentioning that we never put more than ten mils to fifteen mils of filler into a penis in one go. In one go. In one go. Yeah. Yes. I, yes. I also just want to interject from the sound of the conversation. The cleanliness sounds like a big factor as well. So, you know, but when we do this, when we do this procedure, we do it under sterile, uh, a sterile environment. So, you know, but like you were in theater, we, we drape the patient sterilely, we clean sterilely, we, we also work sterilely. You are working under the skin. So, sorry, Elise, one of the complications that we forgot was infection. Exactly. Um, And maybe bleeding as well, a little bit. A little bit of bleeding, a little bit of bruising. Slight discomfort afterwards, but you know what? And it's just bleeding because it's it's erect and all the blood flow is going that side. No, you you know what? You're using an 18-gauge needle, so it's not the thinnest of needles to create a little entry point. And that entry point can, can bleed. 
So, you know, it, it's, it's like taking a big needle and, and injecting yourself with that needle. It sometimes bleeds. Sure. Okay. But again, the procedure is painless. So we can also, as we said, we can also use fat grafting. Um, people are thinking about using stem cells, but, you know, but again, stem cell needs to stimulate natural tissue growth. That's what a stem cell does. So um, that, that's quite new. I haven't seen any results from that. Um, and it's you? not something that I've done in my practice. I know you don't do it in your practice, but what is your opinion about injecting silicon? Definitely not. Why? Um, silicon is a foreign substance. And, you know, what silicon in, in the long run can become carcinogenic. Silicon becomes hard. It's not soft and pliable. So, you know what, you will see these guys that have done a silicon augmentation of the penis or of the testicles or the scrotum, not the scrotum, testicles, yes. the scrotum. And, you know what, it's, uh, in my opinion, it's defiguring. Um, I've, I've never seen a good result with that. And again, if it goes wrong, your only course of action is surgery. But um, Dr. Mark, you also can get nodules from hyaluronic acid, and that should also be removed if you are not happy with the nodules. It makes sort of pockets sometimes in certain areas. Um, yeah, a nodule is, a, is when um, a tissue fellow becomes hard. We also refer to them as granulomas when they become yes. infected. And so, you know what, that's scar tissue. It's a granuloma. Um, so on on the penis, it's it's literally like having a Rough Rider condom um, built into your penis. Exciting. But you know what? It it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Why did I ask you to join us? <laughs> I'm trying to get through the show. We have five minutes left. We're still at time. We're still at time. Um, so um, granulomas can can be a problem because they also um, uh, you know what, an area where, where you are prone to having infection. So you will get, if you have a hyaluronic acid filler and you have granulomas, if you, if you have an infection like a sinus infection, that granuloma is going to flare up because it's been encapsulated by um, your immune system and the immune cells like giant cells and mast cells and stuff like that. And um, your immune system, when it goes onto the offensive, it will start attacking that. So, you know what, there are complications, but in my opinion, it's one of the safer treatments that you can do. Duma? All right, just a quick question. Um, when you mentioned the Rough Rider comments, I just had an idea or I had a question in mind. So I see that one of the cosmetic surgeries that are available for penises, especially with pleasure in mind, is I think they call them pearls. Um, so these are little implants of yes. beads under the, under the skin. Um, you know what? Again, it's like tattooing or piercing. Certain people will go ahead and do that. It has... Uh, uh, risks that you need to be aware of. Infection risk, um, It's infections. It's those things can start moving around. They can oh. migrate. Remember, they're sitting under it, under the skin. They're loose. So to implant them into the skin, that skin is very thin. 
So they, they need to sit in the correct place. Um, the, the penal anatomy is that of um, circular um, onions, if you want to call it like that. There's different layers, and you need to work in between the layers. But in between the layers, things are free to move around. Okay, so the last one that I want to to touch on is regenerative therapy, PRP, platelet-rich plasma therapy. And in my opinion, this is probably one of the safest and also one of the most effective ways of doing an enhancement treatment. And I often do it for patients with smaller penises, um, smaller, when I say smaller I'm referring to shorter penises because, um, you know what, adding girth to a short penis actually makes it look shorter. Mm. So um, platelet-rich plasma therapy, it comes from your own body. So we take your blood, we spin it off, we harvest the platelets and the plasma and we eject it back into the penis. And that not only is a very, very good treatment for erectile dysfunction, as it's regenerating the blood vessels, it's regenerating the sponge tissue, it regenerates nerve tissue, but it also leads to a, a production of new tissue. So, um, and that gives us a sustainable enlargement over time. It's not a once of procedure. You're looking at, um, uh, you know, at, at least uh, eight to 12 of them spread over time. You can do them as often as once a month um, in combination with um, a, a vacuum device used correctly. You know what? This is a beautiful way of adding both length and girth to a penis. We've, we do them very successfully in our practice. We had a patient who reported a three centimeter increase in, in girth and a two centimeter increase in length in one year. So it's variable from patient to patient and that's what we need to understand. But you can also combine it with electrostimulation, can't you? You can combine it with electrostimulation. Dante, you used to do all our electrostimulations, bioelectrical stimulations in the practice. And one of the um, first things that uh, the men um, reported was a definitive, uh, a definitive in, um, increase in girth as well as in the erectile functioning. Sure. So, you know, it not only can you rejuvenate the penis to a younger, more youthful state, but also make it bigger and better functioning, giving you bigger, longer, harder erections. Um, so, Ryan, you've been giving me the lasso for the can, past six minutes. Can I just put in one last question? Is there an age limit? Never. Especially not if we use regenerative therapy. It's got all to do with the quality of your platelets and the functioning of your platelets. When it comes to the augmentation with um, hyaluronic acid, also there's no age limit there. Um, no, actually, let's reframe. There is an age limit. I'm, you have to be through puberty. So I would say from 21 onwards, I, I wouldn't do it in a guy younger than 21 because they can still be growing. So I would say any time from 21 onwards. Okay. And there's no age limit towards the other end. 
Yeah, no. that's. I was thinking you asked more about that side. Yes, that was what I was asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no, you 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 can do this safely. It all depends on on you know what the underlying conditions, um, you know, but whether there's good blood flow uh, to the penis, uh, whether the penis is functioning. I think you know, but to just finish off a program. Um, when I have patients in my office that want an augmentation, I ask them, for what reason? Is it to walk proudly around without a towel in the locker room? Or is it for yourself and your partner in the bedroom? And very often, you know, what they haven't answered that question for themselves. And the majority of men just want to feel more confident around other men. Um, as Sister Elise said, women don't really mind. I don't think you like small penises, but women don't really mind uh, what, how big they are and what they look at, like, but more about how they work. Correct. Okay. Okay. So, guys, if you want to know more about this procedure, you can check um, – out uh, as out on our um, web page. It's called www.theclinic.com. If you have any questions, you can contact us at our office in Bryanston. The number is 010-824-1393. Um, this is a there are procedures that are safe in the hands of someone who's experienced and can manage any complications. Um, when we're talking about augmentation with hyaluronic acid, um, you know what, it's, it's fairly quick, it's painless. Um, there's very little downtime. You can go back to your normal daily activity immediately after the procedure, as well as with PRP, um, platelet-rich plasma therapy. Next week, we'll be back and we'll be joined uh, by Dr. Alison Bentley. She's a sleep specialist and we're going to talk about how to sleep better as well as the importance that sleep has in maintaining and managing our health and well-being. Until next week, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.